to give you a little bit of a recap. And you'll see kind of where our songs from today have been coming from. Jonah, if you remember <coughs> from two weeks ago, this is not so much a book about us uh, as it is so much about how God is looking at the lost. If you remember, we were, we were reading in chapter 1, and we realized, really, the focus of this book is, is on Nineveh and the way that God wants to approach a world that has been broken apart from him. And we were, we were going through Jonah because, you know, we, we did some chapters out of Leviticus. We saw what God wanted of his priests. We are called to be, you know, a, a royal priesthood, a, a treasured possession for our God and our king. And yet, we, we kind of left Leviticus going, but we don't, we might know the work we're supposed to be about, but we don't always know how to go about doing it or necessarily what it's supposed to look like. And John really, I mean, John's, John's message last week perfectly ties what we talked about in Jonah chapter 1 with what we're talking about today. Um, so just to kind of recap some of the things that John mentioned, you know, we, we came out of chapter 1 saying, okay, big picture. What's the big difference between how God views the lost and how we want to view the lost? God meets our brokenness with reconciliation, right? He sees you and I in our sin. He sees you and I in our, our hurt and our pain and our suffering. And he goes to us and says, I'm going to work to make things right. We like to point out the brokenness and point out the wickedness to make sure we stay as far away from it as possible because we want the wickedness, the distractions, the brokenness, we want that vengeance. We want that thing punished. We want that thing cast out and removed. But we kind of forget where we also started from, right? We, we, paired, we paired what Jonah does to where God is at and says there's a difference in how we want to view people who are lost, people who are broken, situations that are, are frustrating, and the way that God looks at us. And John built off of that to give some, just some very practical pointers to say, if this is the heart that God wants us to have, if this is the difference between how God sees it and how I see it. I mean, John's, the start of the sermon, John, I thought was so cool because he, he walked us through some of these statistics about where religion and things are at in our culture. Um, and I'm sitting there being like, yeah, it, it doesn't paint a pretty picture, does it? And, and John, like, he placed himself in that moment and said, yeah, I was getting discouraged. I was getting frustrated until I realized how I'm looking at the problem different than God, which was Jonah 1. And John kind of inserted some, some practical keys for us along the way, one of them being uh, one of my favorites, John, the difference between us and the lost is just location, right? It's not value, it's not dignity, it's not worthiness. It, the difference between me and someone who's broken apart from God is purely location. And if that's true, that kind of challenges me because I want, I want so badly to say that I'm a little bit better, right? Because of my righteousness, because of, well, I, I've chosen not to live like that and I keep myself from those things over there. I want so badly in me to say that I should be slightly better. I should be slightly more valuable. God should be slightly more thrilled with me than those over there. And John walked through the, you know, the parable of the, the prodigal son, 
the widow who lost her coins. And, and there was another parable that was in Luke 15. Um, the lost sheep, yes, thank you, Carol, that really kind of showed, no, that's, that's not how God looks at us versus those who are broken apart. And if that's true, then the goal is to move people closer to God, not just to cut them off if they don't immediately accept the gospel testimony. John used the analogy of we're to be shining lights, not blinding lights, which is just perfect. The, the imagery of, you know, we are the light of the world, <laughs> and depending on where you're pointing that light, it makes a big difference to the people around you. Um, and just kind of landing on, we can be gracious in how we share our beliefs and our faith with others without making them accepting what I believe a condition of me granting love, granting dignity, granting honor to them, because the only difference between me and them before God is truly location. Now, that is not to oversimplify it. Location is a big deal. That's partially what we're going to see today. Location's a big deal. But it's not value. And so kind of where John left us with, I think, with, with the practical steps is, you know, how do I measure myself in that light, right? How do I know if I am treating someone else well? How do I know if I am valuing somebody, you know, the way that God described? How do I know if, if I am blinding someone with my light or am I shining the light, you know, just for them to see? How do I know the difference? And in one word, church, uh, I'm going to give it to you. And then, because I, hopefully you desire to hear more than one word from me, I'll flesh it out a little bit for you. But in one word, it's repentance. That if you want to measure how well you are pointing a light for someone else, you actually have to start with, where are you? And we're going to see from Jonah 2 today, church, it is a repentant heart that God can use to reach a lost world. That might not be earth-shaking for you, but I, I found it refreshing this week, church, because th th repentance for me, much like discipleship, outreach, evangelism are these words that you've probably heard a million times in church so at this point we probably all have slightly different ideas of what they mean when i say repentance you know if we we stacked up five or six christians from any church in our area they're probably going to give you a mostly similar answer but sometimes we tack on a lot of stuff that just doesn't need to be there, okay? So I, I want you to walk with me through Jonah 2. We're going to see when God is looking at what does he call repentance, what is that, and why does he want it in this way, okay? Those are the two questions. So as we read this, you're going to hear some pieces about what repentance looks like, and then you're also going to see God saying, and here's why I need it to be this way, okay? So we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 17. And we're going to go through chapter 2. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and all your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, God, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The, the deep surrounded me, the weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. 
when my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay, for salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God, I mean, we, we literally just sang a song telling you that we are sorry for when we've grown cold, for when our, our love has gone astray. God, we, we have been working through in the songs and in the psalms this morning, just trying to come to this place, God, where you, what do we do with our brokenness? What do we do with the brokenness we see within us? What do we do with the brokenness we see in the world? And, and honestly, Lord, I feel that we just get overwhelmed at times. And when we're overwhelmed, Lord, we sometimes we move into fear and we just kind of close up and we withdraw and we don't do anything. And sometimes, Lord, when we feel overwhelmed, we, uh, you know, just like a, a cornered animal, you lash back out. Nobody wants to be put in a corner. Lord, I don't even have to share examples because I know, I know we can look at times in our life where we have either lashed out or we have withdrawn because we don't know what to do with the brokenness we see in us and we see around us. We need this story, Lord. We need this book of Jonah because it reorients us to, to show you how do you process this? How do you handle this? And we especially need this right now, Lord, because we're about to celebrate the birth of your son, the fulfillment of all of this taking place right here. Your, your Emmanuel, you being with us, even in the midst of our suffering and all of our chaos and all of our brokenness. God, how do you do this? We need your word. We need your spirit this morning to guide us as we listen. And Father, just help us. We, we are in a place where we are ready to hear from you this morning. In your name we pray. Church, when we look at this, I, I'm going to give you, rather than the, uh, the uh, maybe traditional, here's, here's all the little points and working through them one by one, I'm going to give you three of them all together at once, okay? Partially because there's only like ten verses here, so I can't, can only expound so much right here. But I want to show you the three pieces of a heart that's really repentant, okay? The first is that it calls out to God. The second is that it recognizes its brokenness. And the third is that it desires its presence. Each, a heart that's truly repentant to keep us on the same page, these three things need to be present. So let, let's go back to the text. Let's see where this comes from, okay? If you look in verse 1, verse 2, Jonah, as he's literally sitting in the fish, he finally prays out to God. That might not sound very profound to you this morning, but I, <laughs> events that happened to me last night made me think about just how profound that is. Um, I was not, I was not feeling great yesterday. Some of it's sinus stuff, some of it's, you know, barometric pressure. I get weird headaches, just like many of you get weird headaches. And when you don't feel good, you tend to not be yourself. And when you aren't yourself, well, first off, your family recognizes it. But you could be invited to go to gatherings, like Christmas parties. And you could, it, when you're not feeling good and you're not feeling yourself, you could decide to play games like, I wonder 
how few words I can use this evening. Even though I know all the people in here and these are my best friends in the world, I'm really not feeling good. I'm going to see how long I can go without eating and how few words I can use, right? Which you hear that and you go, man, you, you must not have looked very pleasant to be around. Well, um, you can ask Abigail how that went. But it amazed me when I got back home. You've been like, man, how easy would it have been to have paused and said, God, this is where I'm at. I don't feel good right now. God, what have you put before me? You, you have put a community of people I get to go celebrate Christmas with. God, could you help me you know, find strength? Could you take away something? I could have prayed a million things. It's not that big of a deal. But truthfully, church, sometimes when we get overwhelmed, I mean, Jonah's in the middle of an ocean, okay? So it's fair to say he's overwhelmed. The fact that he actually finally remembers to pray Oh, church, may, may we not wait that long till you get home and you realize, man, I was a little bit of a party pooper last night. Um, would have been nice to have recognized that earlier. The fact that Jonah calls out to pray is a big deal, okay? So a repentant heart, it, it starts by calling out to God. And he actually uses the word calling out, which is why I have it in the main point in verse 2. That's the verb kara. It means to call someone or something by name. So not just saying, hey, you, but like me saying, hey, Daryl, hey, Abigail, hey, Kim. Like, actually, you're calling someone with familiarity to say, I have a relationship. I know who that person is. And I love that because sometimes when you and I think about crying out to God when it's repentance, we start getting into deep theology of, oh, I need to know all these things about God in order to cry out to him. Or, oh, that person over there, they really need God. Let me give them these five or six things they should know about God in order to cry out to him. Jonah doesn't do any of that. He just has the name of God, and he says, Yahweh, God, I know you're there. I, I know who you are. I might not fully understand uh, a million of these different little doctrinal things, but God, I know you're there, and I know who you are. And I love how Jonah does this from where he's at, right? He cries out from the belly of Sheol, from his distress. He's not fixing things to get to the point where he's comfortable calling out to God. He just starts with saying, God, here I am. I know who you are. I know you're real. Here I am. Here's what I'm going through. The next piece, after you see Jonah does that, he identifies what the problem is, right? He says in, in verse 4, I have been driven away from your sight, right? He used all this, this beautiful kind of poetic language in verse 3 to talk about this, this separation he feels between himself and God. God, I feel like I've been cast into the deep. I'm, I'm in the heart of the seas. I'm surrounded. I'm so, so far away from you right now. This is my issue. I have been broken apart from you. And then he gets to what does he want? Verse four, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah's way of saying, I, I want to be with you again, God. I know you're there. I know I'm broken apart from you, and I know I need to be with you again. Very simple. And then the pattern repeats itself. You see verse 5, there's more of this, this poetic language of the waters closing in, the deep surrounded. I mean, that's a powerful picture of weeds being wrapped around your head at the root of a mountain. And yet, he then says, okay, God, what do I want? I recognize I'm broken apart from you. I have been sent down to the pit, verse 6. 
He calls out again using God's name, verse 6, O Lord, my God. Verse 7, I remembered my Lord. And then you again see him expressing, where does he want to be? Verse 7, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. That's my aim. That's, that's where I want to go, to your holy temple. A very simple picture. Now, church, why? Because some of us might think, well, are, surely there's some other things needed in there for repentance to take place, right? I'm, I'm not going to go into a list, but sometimes we, we want to attach things, making it a bigger deal than just, I know who you are, God. I know I'm broken apart from you, and I just want to be with you again. We want to add, typically we want to add all the fixing things around us into the mix. But why is this the only piece that works through Jonah? Because watch where Jonah lands, verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. If that just kind of sounds odd to you in English, it's because it's a kind of an odd translation of the Hebrew. A, another way you could read this church would be those who surround themselves with useless things. It's the imagery of saying, I feel the brokenness, and I'm, I'm looking out to something that can help me, right? Maybe it's, it's a friend over here. Maybe it's a, I just switched my job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, you know, a, a program, something. I'm looking out to something to get me out of where I'm at. And Jonah recognizes, but just my simple act of saying, I know who you are, God. I see my brokenness. I want to be with you. It gets Jonah to the point where he says, look, all this other stuff is useless. It does not do what I need it to do. And then he gets to the point in verse 9 where he says, because I see this other stuff is useless, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. That word sacrifice, church, when we were going through Leviticus, you heard the word sacrifice a lot. It's the same word here. It, the literal killing of a life to take the place of another life. Except who is the sacrifice in this verse, church? It's not an animal. It is Jonah. Jonah is saying the act of me recognizing who you are, God, just seeing my brokenness and me saying I want to be with you, not only does it lead us to recognize everything around us useless, but it also leads us to say I, I am willing to kind of let you do this, Lord. I, I am willing to lay down my life so that I can take up the life of Christ. It's, it's not that complicated. If we're talking about repentance, what God is expecting of us, what he is desiring to do in the lost and the hurting around us, just bring us to the point where we can see we need him, we recognize our brokenness, and we want to be with him again. Now, we could end right there. We could set our record for fastest, uh, fastest service yet. Um, some of you might be like, sweet, we'll definitely get, get out ahead early. However, however, some of you also know the rest of the story. And I, I've been trying my hardest not to give any spoilers to Jonah. But some of you know what happens next. Some of you know he goes to Nineveh. And after such this repentant moment, he doesn't really do a good job. He kind of does the bare minimum effort preaching to Nineveh. Some of you know that, that all of Nineveh 
to really, okay, I'm just going to give you big spoilers. The whole rest of the city of Nineveh comes to know God. They repent. Jonah, I mean, I'm thinking if I'm in Jonah's spot and I just led an entire city, which, you know, in this, this ancient world, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. If I just led all of northern Virginia to come to know God, that's, now we're in the millions, but still, to come to know God, wouldn't it be so cool to revel in what God was doing? And yet Jonah goes up out of the city, sits on a hill, and he goes, there is no way you're taking that, God. Go, yeah, God, you took it for me, but there is no way. What do, what do the people in Nineveh know? They don't know anything about you. God, I'm a prophet. I know all this stuff about you. God, they, they don't know a thing about you. God, they, they admitted they are broken, but they are so far broken, Lord. I mean, sure, yeah, you got me out of a whale, but there's no way you could do this stuff for them. And you, you hear that, and you go, well, was Jonah really repentant? If he's sitting in the belly of the whale, yeah, God gets him out and he goes and does these things, but what is he up to? And what, what, what that caused me to do this week, church, is it, it, it I, I don't know, I, I wrestled with that for a long time um, until I did uh, what I would encourage any of you to do if you have questions. I, I talked to Abigail. <laughs> it works. And you get to the point where you realize, okay, what did Jonah repent of? What was he sorry for? And I want to show you this part. And this is, this is the last part of our main point this morning, okay? A repentant heart, yes, it desires to know God. Yes, it calls out to him. Yes, it recognizes our brokenness. Why does it do these things? Why does it do these things? If you look back over the text, what does Jonah say is wrong? He says, I am driven away from your sight. He recognizes that he is not currently right with God. That is true. And I, I kind of set you up a little bit for this when I said, you know, he uses all this poetic language about I've been cast into the deep, the seas, the flood, we're feeling overwhelmed by our brokenness. Also, that's quite literal, right? Where was Jonah at the end of chapter one? He got tossed overboard. And he's in the middle of the waters. So, yes, it's this wonderful picture of how he feels overwhelmed by his brokenness. But he's also literally saying, God, I'm kind of stuck in the middle of an ocean, in the middle of a storm. I don't really like where I'm at. Can you please get me out of here? There's a very literal reading in there, church. Jonah recognizes, I don't like where I'm at. God, you put me here. God, you can get me out of here. Salvation belongs to you. I need you to get me out of where I'm at, which God does. But what does Jonah not repent of, church? What is not in here at all? His attitude towards Nineveh. The very reason why Jonah is in the water to begin with, he has still not confronted. He has still not worked through that with God. And so yes, he does stand up and say, God, I'm driven away from your sight, verse 4. God, I went down to the land whose bars, God, I should not be here, verse 6. God, I know you can save. And God does, which is so gracious for us that even when we completely miss the attitude, he still is there and he can still deliver. But what has he missed, church? He has not figured out what God's really up to. In fact, if anything, in that light, you could almost say he throws a little bit of shade 
in Nineveh's direction at verse 8, verse 9. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. God, what, are you going to let me die? I'm not like them. I know who you are. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that vows idols. I will pay back what I sacrificed to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. I know you're going to save me. Jonah throws a little bit in Nineveh's direction. And it kind of, I don't know if scares is the right word, but for me, church, it's, it is, it makes me pause. That Jonah can equally sit there and say, God, I know I'm not right with you. I know there's things about me that need to change. I know I have left your presence. God, please let me be with you. And God in his grace saves Jonah. And Jonah equally doesn't understand. But God, you actually want the same things for everyone else. And that is why you have saved me. That's why you redeem me. Because you have now said there is a whole life of ministry. The whole work of reconciliation that I have now been given the opportunity to join you with. Church, that's why we say a truly repentant heart. It does all these things so that it can learn to love God and learn to love others. So a, a, a picture I was thinking about this week is let's say I have some sort of beef with John, okay? And I slapped John. That would never happen. But let's just say that it did. And I sit there and I go, you know what, God? I am really sorry that I slapped John. You are not a God who slaps people. I know that about you. God, I know that I probably, I physically hurt John, but there's probably, probably also did some other stuff. I, I am genuinely sorry that I slapped John. God can say, I, you know, from what we're seeing in Jonah, I'll take that. Jordan, you are forgiven. And I might be able to go the rest of my life and never slap John again. But have I actually addressed what led me to slap John in the first place? No. I might not slap John again, but I may push him down. I may try to take something from him. I may talk bad about him behind his back. There, there's all these other little things that will come up because I haven't actually addressed the heart of what's there. And church, this is something that Jesus himself, he goes to this place in scripture to build on when he's talking to the Pharisees and to the chief priests, okay? I'm going to read for you Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Listen to how Jesus approaches the exact same thing, referencing this moment, this exact moment in Jonah. It says in verse 38, Matthew chapter 12, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Okay, Jesus, hold up. They just ask you to do something for them. Feels like a little bit more like the punishment doesn't quite fit the crime. You're calling them an evil and adulterous generation. Something's weird there. Jesus says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And you hear this and you're going, oh, okay. So, so just like Jonah was in the fish three days, three nights, and then he came out of it, Jesus is going to be, in his words, in the heart of the earth three days, three nights, and then he's going to rise. Okay, this is, this is the salvation. This is Jesus saying he's the Messiah. 
But he takes it another step further. Here's, here's the application he wants the Pharisees and scribes to get from this picture. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation. Speaking about the Jews. With this generation, he's, they're going to rise up with it and they're going to condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's like Jesus is telling them, guys, you are so good at your situational repentance. The Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, you have, you have clung to the law, so you, in theory, you know God better than anybody else, right? You've got his word. You've got it memorized down to the where all the little I dots and T crosses go. You know the law. You know full well when you've broken it. You know full well what it takes to get back into the kingdom. You're so good at all of this. And yet, and yet, someone's going to rise up and condemn you because you are still missing it. The context of this passage, church, couple verses earlier, Jesus tells them, he gives them this analogy. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll read verse 33 for you. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. He says, you are really good at understanding and repenting of the stuff you're doing but you still have not scratched the heart of the issue. And church, my, my, my concern for you, and not, not because I see us doing this wrong, but one of my constant prayers, one of the constant things for me as your pastor is to say when we are functioning as Christians, when we are growing as a church, what the things that we choose to do, the way that we choose to go about them, it cannot simply just be focused on making sure we are avoiding doing the wrong things and just trying to do the right things. Because God is, look, God is gracious. He saves Jonah from the fish, amen. He puts Jonah on dry land, amen. He gives Jonah the freedom to minister to Nineveh, amen. God uses Jonah so much. Thank you, Lord, for how gracious you are to us. But at the end of the day, Jonah missed out. He missed out. And I don't want that for y'all. I don't want that for me. And so I, I, I think about application along these lines this morning, church. This is, to me, what we're seeing in Jonah, this picture of repentance. Because really what Jonah misses out on is peace and joy. We're talking about for Advent. It's the difference between putting out all the little fires in your life and pausing to go find the source of the fire and putting that thing out first. That, that there, are, there are many of you this morning, if you're like me, you spend a lot of time fighting little fires. Some of you fight the same fires every day. Some of you feel like, and you, you, you know this when, when we're talking about it, you feel that stuck in that pattern of the same problems just keep coming up over and over and over again. The same little fire keeps popping up. Oh, it might be at a different job. It might be in a different person. It might look a little bit different, but it's the same thing over and over and over again. And just like Jonah, I, he, he never really gets to the place where he says, I am tired 
and I'm ready to get off the roller coaster, right? I'm ready to be done with these little patterns of the same thing coming up over and over and over again. And, and just like Jesus is telling the Pharisees, look, at some point, aren't you tired? Aren't you ready to stop trying to put out all the little fires? Don't you want to pause and let's address the real reason the fire's there so that you don't have to worry about this anymore, church? That is what we're getting at when we're getting at repentance. But I also, I also recognize the harder part. Some of us, we, we don't want to stop putting out the little fires because we like putting out the little fires. It makes us feel good, right? You can be praised for how good you are at putting out little fires. You can also stay in control because you know the little fires and where they are and how to put them out. It's kind of weird, but I, I know we, we, we know these examples, right? You're like, don't you, I see this in me, I see this in someone else. Don't you want to find something better? Don't you want to step out? Well, sometimes, church, it is easier to feel like you're a victim than to actually pause, find the source of the fire, and let Christ treat it. It is hard because I cannot, I cannot make that decision for any of you this morning. I don't want to see you guys wearing yourselves out because you're running around putting out the same fires over and over and over again. And I have gotten to know you well enough to know you don't want that for other people. So when we look at how does God treat us in our lostness and our brokenness, how does he treat others in their lostness and in their brokenness when he desires repentance? He says, I'm going to be able to put you in a place. I'm going to pull you out of these little cycles and patterns. When you call out to me, when you recognize your brokenness, when you desire my presence, I can get you out of that cycle. But if you want to stay out of that cycle, you have to let me teach you to love God and to love others. And so as we close this morning, church, I want to give you two prompts to pray about. I'll give you about 30 seconds, a minute, just to, to pray. I want to encourage you, just pick one of them, okay? Because I know, I know where the spirit is right now. It's going to tug on you in different ways, and some of you are going to pray a little bit different than others. It just... Take your second to do it, okay? So go ahead where you're at. Go ahead. You can close your eyes. You can bow your heads, raise your hands, whatever you need to do to get yourself. Okay, Lord, there's no distractions around me. Some of you this morning may need to pray, God, I recognize that I'm just kind of stuck in this cycle. I see the same things happening to me over and over and over again. And God, I just need to tell you today, I am tired of putting out little fires. I am ready for you to show me what is the source of why this keeps happening, and I want to deal with that today. Church, God is gracious. He will get us out of the floods. He will pull us out of the seas. But God has something greater for you than just pulling you out to let you go right back in so he can pull you out again. He'll do it and praise his name that he does.
but he has something better for you. Some of you may need to say, God, I am tired of putting out the little fires. Let's do this today. Some of you, though, the prayer might be a little bit different. Some of you may say, God, I really don't want to put out fires. I really don't want to stop putting out fires because I'm afraid blank. So if you say, well, God, if I don't put out all these little fires, then who will? God, if I, if I don't keep pushing in this particular area, if, if I don't keep this work going, then blank is going to happen, right? Somebody else might get in there, right? Who, who knows what's going to happen if I don't stand up blank? Some of us are content, church, to keep putting out all the little fires because at the end of the day, we don't, <laughs> what's going to happen if we aren't in control? One of those two, church, I pray it resonates with you. And we are seeing it is as simple this morning as God saying, child, if you can turn and pause and come to me, recognize this before me. Oh, what, I, what can't I do for you? Church, this is a safe place. This is partly why we gather together to worship once a week, right? This is an environment where we are actually, <laughs> we are able to recognize these things before God. Please do so. Hopefully I'm not cutting any of y'all's conversations with the Lord off, but if it needs to continue, you can let it continue. But let me pray for you all this morning. Heavenly Father, if we should suffer need and go unclothed, and be in poverty, God, make our hearts prize thy love, to know it, to be constrained by it, even though we continually deny all of its blessings. It is your mercy to afflict and try us with wants, for by these trials we see our sins, and we desire severance from them. God, let us willingly accept misery, sorrows, temptations, if we can thereby feel and recognize sin as the greatest evil and be delivered from it with gratitude to thee. May we acknowledge this as the highest testimony of thy love. When thy son Jesus came into our souls instead of sin, he became more dear to us than sin had formerly been. Father, your son's kindly rule replaced sin's tyranny. Teach us to believe that if we ever would have any sin subdued, we must not only labor to overcome it, but we must invite Christ to abide in the place of it. We must become more, the, the sin, Christ must become more to me, to us, than the vile lust had been, that his sweetness, his power, his life may be there. Thus, we must seek a grace from him contrary to sin, but must not claim it apart from himself. Father, when we are afraid of evils to come, comfort us by knowing that in us, we are dying condemned wretches. But in Christ, we are reconciled. We live. That is not something we are hoping to obtain. We have that now. Father, in, in ourselves, we find insufficiency. We find no rest. We see these patterns, Father, of desiring fires. But in Christ, there is satisfaction. There is peace. That in ourselves, we are feeble and unable to do good. We cannot put all the fires out ourselves, Lord. But in Christ, we have perfect ability to do all things. 
Though now we have his graces in part, Father, we recognize we shall shortly have them perfectly in that state where thou wilt show thyself to us fully reconciled and alone sufficient, alone efficient, alone loving us completely with sin fully abolished. Oh, Lord, hasten that day. God, as you grow our church, we do not want to just be really good at putting out all the little fires. Because that's not the full picture of your heart towards our lostness. That's not the full picture of your heart towards the world. We are grateful for your grace that says you will put out all those little fires for us. But God, we recognize today, look, we we are a finite people with finite resources bound by finite time. We cannot waste it by missing out on the life we have with you. We want to walk with you in that life today. Show us, Lord, wherever we may need to repent, wherever we may need to call something out to you, to just recognize how it's broken us apart from you and say, God, I want to be with you in this. And in that pausing, Lord, may you not just tell us of the wrong things we've done, but show us, hey, if we address this deep thing right here, you won't have to worry about that again. This, Lord, is the deliverance we are awaiting today. In your name we pray.